From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you checking out this transmission via one of our affiliate stations, now about 40 across North America. Of course, the Conspiracy Show app, free download, the YouTube channel. Please hit the sub button. We're getting close to 8,000 subs. All of our loyal listeners in the uh, the live chat who join us each and every week, however and wherever you're listening and watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Have you uh, subscribed to my podcast yet? Conspiracy Unlimited, times a week, new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This, we now have over 600,000 downloads since we launched in December. And you can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, new episodes. And my other podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone which is part of the Jericho Network in association with Westwood One. And again, that's the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. I'm getting a lot of very positive feedback. Um, people tweeting and emailing saying it's my new favorite podcast. So if you like rock and roll and strange mysteries, you're going to enjoy it. Just Google it, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. That's the best way to find it, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. I just finished a two a two-part series on the murder of Elvis Presley, and people are really enjoying uh, listening to those. Hey, uh, Nick Redfern is standing by. I don't think there is another researcher, author, who has investigated the men in black phenomenon the way Nick has. And he is here with the very latest information on the sinister men in black, the chilling women in black, and the creepy black-eyed children. His new book documents dozens of never-before-seen stories of encounters with these creatures. And uh, he also talks about his own sightings of uh, Men in Black. Uh, he also discusses the ability of these multidimensional entities to invade our space in hostile fashion and how and why writing, reading, and even thinking about them can be hazardous. Nick is the author of more than 40 books. They include Men in Black, Women in Black, The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, 365 Days of UFOs. Uh, Nick has appeared on many TV shows, including the BBC's Out of This World, the Sci-Fi Channel's Proof Positive, the History Channel's Monster Quest, America's Book of Secrets, and UFO Hunters, the National Geographic Channel's Paranatural, and MSNBC's Countdown. His latest is The Black Diary. Men in Black, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. Nick Redfern, welcome back to Consp- the, the uh, Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, Richard. How's it going? Terrific, thank you. Good. Uh, I know that your previous book uh, talked about women in black, but before that, I wasn't familiar. Why should there not be women in black? But mm-hmm. I hadn't heard this being widely reported. Typically, when people have a UFO sighting or they have a, a close encounter, when they report being visited by... Uh, entities in black, they tend to be men. Is this a new a new phenomenon? How did you find out about the women in black? Well, I actually, uh, about three years ago, um, wrote an entire book on the, the whole women in black phenomenon. And um, I think one of the reasons why it's been kind of overlooked is, is because the term men in black, everybody knows about it, even, you know, even the public knows it, thanks to the, uh, the movies. Um, but I think because uh, it is so iconic that people associate the men in black uh, only when it comes to people being threatened in relation to UFOs and other phenomena. 
But if you look throughout the history, you do find that there are now and again reports of these women in black, and they're typically very similar to the men in black who, you know, in the movies, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are secret agents of a, of a secret agency within government. But the vast majority of the real reports are very, very different, where they kind of look very pale and gaunt, and they have these oversized eyes, and they don't even look fully human. And that's the same with the women in black. They're typically described as having very, very pale skin, um, again, sort of slightly larger than uh, normal eyes. And they wear these long wigs that sort of, you know, come across their face and around their chin. So it's hard to sort of see them properly when they wear these wraparound sunglasses as well. Which, and that's probably the whole point, is to sort of try and mask their real appearance, so to speak. Um, but John Keel, who wrote the Mothman Prophecies book, when Keel was investigating the Mothman stories in 66 and 67 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, he actually came across more than a few women in black cases where people who'd seen Mothman were visited by these women who essentially presented themselves as doing things like census taking and things like that. So they didn't think anything of it until the questions started to get very, very strange. Has, has anybody had any strange nightmares? Have you seen anything unusual outside of your house late at night? That kind of thing. And then the witnesses, the people realized that this was just a ruse, saying they were doing a census. It was actually just a ruse to try and get into the house. And Keel actually um, put together quite a few of those cases. And these are not pleasant encounters, obviously, but how does a typical, if there is a typical encounter, how does it usually go? They're told to keep quiet about what they've seen. How does it typically play out? Yeah, well, the vast majority of cases, whether it's the men in black or the women in black, typically they've had a UFO encounter. But in saying that, there have been some cases where people claim to have seen things like Bigfoot and then they've been threatened and people using Ouija boards claim to have had experiences with the men in black and the women in black as well just hours or days after using a Ouija board but typically the experience occurs when it's usually late at night there's a knock on the door and of course you know if there's a knock on your door at say 11 o'clock at night you're going to think who on earth is that so people go to the spy hole and if you see sort of two or three creepy pale faced figures staring back you're probably not going to open the front door you know the weird thing is most of the witnesses or the victims actually do open the door and let them in. And with hindsight, they felt as if they were somehow being sort of mind-controlled, mind-manipulated, hypnotized. And so they invite them in. And that kind of ties in with the old parallels and the legends of vampires where yes. they have to be invited in. And that's one of the interesting things. The black-eyed children, the women in black, men in black all wait to be invited into the home. Now, when they get in the house, they then threaten the person not to talk about what they'd seen. And very often in these experiences, the person who is being threatened, they kind of feel in almost like a daze, like a, a drugged state. One witness described it as like if you could live in something like a real Matrix world. You know, it, it was like a, almost a, an unreality type situation where things didn't seem quite right in the home as if it was almost like a vivid uh, like i said a, a real life matrix and when the threat has has finished they turn and then they leave 
And one of the weird things is how they arrive and leave is very often they sort of walk in these jerky fashions, almost like a zombie, you know, sort of jerky movements along. So everything about the men in black is sort of very far removed from the whole imagery that, you know, Hollywood has presented. And yeah, they're fun movies, but they definitely did sort of plant, if you like, in the mind of the public and a lot of UFO researchers who perhaps weren't overly familiar with it all assumed it was, you know, government agents when it's more like something straight out of like an H.P. Lovecraft novel or something like that. Right. I mean, are there cases where people are visited by what appear to be fully human sort of government G-men? Oh, yeah, there are. There's no doubt about that. And that's one of the interesting things, is that there seems to be two categories of men in black. There are these weirder ones, the strange-looking ones, and there are examples where government agencies have sent people out to investigate UFO encounters. And particularly in the 50s and 60s, you know, all the guys wore sort of suits and black hats, you know, fedoras. There's good evidence that at some point the government realized that there were these weird men in black going around and they actually had no idea who they were, but the governments realized that they could cover their tracks by actually sort of masquerading as the weirder group. In other words, it actually as, as a good camouflage for the government to pose as the men in black, even though, as I said, they didn't necessarily really know who the stranger ones are and they still may not know but equally they may still be using that sort of imagery as a means to ensure that nobody ever finds out who they really actually are so um, you know there is at least two groups I think that sort of fall into that particular category of MIB. Nick Redfern, The Black Diary. We'll uh, come back and find out about Nick's own encounter with Men in Black, and we'll also talk about black-eyed children. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Follow the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Nick Redfern is with us. And his latest, The Black Diary. Men in Black, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. All right, Nick, so tell me about your encounter with Men in Black. Did this follow a a UFO sighting, or how did it happen? No, it actually didn't, Richard. It was a very strange story, and which I tell in the book. And what happened was that um, this was back in the latter part of 2016, and I was writing an article for a website I write, uh, write for, Mysterious Universe. And the article was based around various um, people who, after either reading the novel or watching the movie version of uh, the old movie uh, Rosemary's Baby, which is like a, a supernatural satanic tale. And it was written in the 1960s uh, by a man named Ira Levin, and then it was made into a big box Hollywood movie. And the what's really weird is a number of people who have read the book watch the movie, have had paranormal experiences immediately afterwards. Now, a few years ago, I interviewed a guy named Peter Beckman, and Peter is a a voiceover actor. He does a lot of voiceover for cartoons and and shows and things like that. And he had one of these experiences um, where him and a friend back in the late 1960s were actually playing the old vinyl LP version of the soundtrack, and then they had one of these weird spaced out experiences where they saw 
suddenly these two weird-looking, pale, skinny, emaciated men in black. And their mind was kind of blurred as well as to the full facts. Now, I wrote about this and several other cases in the article. And then the next morning, I just I, when I got up, I sort of pulled the curtains open and looked through the blinds of my second-floor apartment window. And no word of a lie, there was a guy coming towards the apartment who had like a black suit on, um, black hat, and he was walking in a really strange way. His hands were sort of uh, hanging down, like, you know, if you've got a pet dog and you put him on the back's legs, you know, the, the front limbs, front paws kind of hang down. He was like that. And he was thin and very weird looking. And I, I just, I actually froze for like a few seconds. And then I raced to... Uh, to grab uh, my phone so I could get a picture and um, quickly dressed, raced down the steps and I uh, managed to get the one picture, then um, grabbed um, some clothes and shoes to, uh, to, to follow him down the steps, so to speak. I got down the steps and turned right to see where he was and he wasn't there. And I find him sort of about 50 feet down the left-hand side of the next apartment block and he was just getting into the car. But uh, I managed to get a picture of him, and just one picture. But as I said, he, you know, he, he looked kind of strange, um, and he had this black hat on, like an old-style fedora hat, black suit, and you know, this was Dallas in sort of September uh, 2016, when it's still, you know, the height of the the weather. You know, in, in September in Dallas here, you know, the temperature's still like 95 sometimes, you know, on, yes. a, on a good day, so to speak. And nobody dresses like that, you know, around there. And um, he certainly wasn't a resident of the apartments. You know, you get to know everybody. How close did and, you get um, to him, Nick? How close did you And it was just get... really strange as well because of the timing with me having written this article the night before. And obviously thinking about the movie, Rosemary's Baby and the book when I was writing the article. And then suddenly, uh, like so many other people who've had these paranormal experiences after watching the movie or reading the book, um, and then I should get exactly the same thing within 24 hours of writing the article. And to me, at least, it just sounded um, just, you know, there's just no way it could just be coincidence. And um, And as I said, you know, the big irony was... People have always said, you know, what would you do if you um, you saw one of these? I said, well, you know, I'd question him and get pictures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I got one, but even I, I just froze. You know, I just, I, it's kind of like when you're watching a car accident. You know, you just sort of stare for a, a minute, that kind of thing. And um, uh, well, understandably, you were in yeah. shock. How close did you get to him before he got into his car? Um, I was probably when I took the picture, I was probably about twenty feet away. Um, but I was able to, you know, since then to, to blow the picture up, and it, you know, it, and it's pretty clear. Um, but when I actually saw him, uh, when I lost him, uh, then I saw him getting in a car, and there was three other guys. They weren't dressed uh, like him, but they got in the car with him as well, and uh, and then just drove off. And I asked a few people around, you know, did you see this guy? And um, you know, sort of wandering around, and um, nobody else saw him. That was a strange thing, you know, and um, it was sort of like 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning where, you know, people are getting ready to do things and whatever, and um, and nobody saw him. So that was kind of odd as well. And um, But, you know, that that's why 
the in the book, uh, my book, um, the subtitle includes the words dangerous books because there are a number of cases like this where people have read books, like, for example, the first book on the men in black, which was called um, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, published in 1956. And then the second one called Flying Saucers and the Three Men, published in 1962. A number of people who read those books claimed that afterwards they saw the men in black or they started to get these weird hang-up phone calls in the middle of the night. And, um, and several people, in one case, the, the Flying Saucers and the Three Men book, which was written by a guy named Albert Bender, two people actually sent their copies back to the publisher because they got this creepy vibe from the book as if it was almost somehow like supernaturally infected and they just got this weird but sort of unsettling vibe of even just holding the book and so they sent and that's when the same people who had these experiences and so they just sent the book back and one of them actually burned the book as well so that kind of demonstrates how for whatever reason people pick these books up and they just they kind of feel almost, you know, infected by something supernatural. Now, had you not tried to take a photograph of this character, would he have come, do you think, directly to your apartment? Would he have knocked on the door? Was he looking well, for you? Actually, you know, I've never really thought of that. I just, I kind of just, you know, saw him, took the picture, and then made the association with the time with the whole Rosemary's Baby thing the night before and the day before. Um, I guess, you know, I could sort of, hypothesize or whatever but i mean all i can say for sure is that if it was a weird coincidence and if just a regular guy happened to walk past my window at the very same time i opened the blinds to see what the weather was like and and you put it together with the time of the article then you could put it down to coincidence but you have so many factors involved um that i honestly don't think it was coincidence. I think there was something much bigger going on. And it, it also happened at the time where I was having a lot of other weird things going on. And this was when I was writing this particular book. And um, and John Keel found that when he was writing about the men in black, he would start to have weird experiences, almost as if when you think about them, research them, it's almost like a, an alarm bell goes off where they realize what's going on and then turn the table so to speak and this has never happened to you before except for no with no Rosemary's i mean baby. well what i would say is that when i've been researching and um writing and even doing radio for other shows on the man in black i have had weird experiences like that but certainly in the last two years it was elevated hugely and no i've never had an experience with a man in black type character before or since you know um it's just this one occasion two years ago um but you know for the most part people only really do see them just once there are a few exceptions to that rule but mostly it is it is just one but um you know when, when you kind of see this happening not just to you but to friends um um you know, who who are interviewed for the new book. And after the interview, then they started to be become the victim of these things as well. So, again, how that can happen, you know, that's the big question. But the all I can tell you for sure is that, you know, it does happen. You think about them, and it's almost as if 
they know you're thinking about them. Well, last time we had you on, Nick, we were talking about your most recent book, which was about the whole Slender Man phenomenon, and you were describing sort of this Tibetan legend where the monks are able to manifest these demons with their minds. Is that sort of related yeah. to what we're talking about here? Yeah, it's basically a phenomenon known as thought forms, or with Buddha, in Buddhist terms, it's called a tulpa, T-U-L-P-A. And the theory is that the human mind, the collective human mind, like the hive mind, so to speak, if enough people focus on something in their mind and think about it, dream about it, write about it, obsess about it, etc., etc., that if enough people are focusing on one thing, they can sort of create a real-world equivalent of like a fictional entity and that's what may have happened with the slender man which was created as a as a as a, just a piece of internet uh, uh like a competition a contest uh but now people see the slender man in the real world because i think um that so many people sort of uh, are so focused on it thousands and thousands that they may well have sort of given birth in a very strange way to a a creature of the mind which then steps out of the imagination and becomes self-aware. And there are actually some people who think that could be what the men in black are, that more and more people are aware of them and come to believe in them. And then again, that the human mind creates them unwittingly and inadvertently, and then they take on their own um, character almost, if you like. And um, I've actually wondered, you know, if, if something like that could have happened with me. You know, I mean, I mean, I have the photo, but I mean, is that all it is, or could it be? You know, the fact that I've focused so much on the Men in Black mystery over the years, having written five books, four books on it, and one on the Women in Black, you know, could it be all that focus actually causes them to manifest? But it's, it's us who's doing it, which would be even more kind of disturbing if we were creating them and we couldn't do anything to stop it. Have you given given any consideration to the idea that maybe the whole UFO phenomena is a tulpa, that, that, that they are manifestations, well, thought forms? Well, you know, I mean, one of the things is that um, certainly if you look at the UFO subject, over the years the, the, the UFOs themselves have sort of changed to mirror the technology of one particular period. For example, back in the 1800s, people didn't see flying saucers. They saw what were, <coughs> what were known as phantom airships. And they were slightly advanced of the airships that we had back then. Then in the 1940s, in the Second World War, you had these strange balls of light that were known as the Foo Fighters, which is, which is where the band got their name from. Then in the, in the uh, late 1940s, you had ghost rockets, which were like rocket-type ships. Then you had flying saucers. Now, people today don't really see flying saucers anymore. They see these large, black, triangular-shaped craft. So... In many cases, what we find is that the UFOs change as our technology changes. So if it is us creating these images, then it would make sense that we would be creating things similar to the, you know, the up-and-coming technology. Um, but, you know, the people say, well, why can't we not stop thinking about them? Well, it's not easy to stop thinking about things. You know, if I said to someone stop thinking about the men in black, well, the first thing you're going to do is think about the men in black. And it's very difficult to put something out of your mind when it's on your mind constantly. And I think that's what happened 
with the thousands and thousands of kids who have obsessed on the Slender Man. They cannot get out, out of their mind. And as I said, that hive kind of connection um, causes them to come into being. And um, so I, th I, I don't think that can explain the whole paranormal phenomena. But I do think that a good case could be made, and possibly, you know, with some of the Men in Black cases, that understanding the phenomenon, looking into it, thinking about it, could actually cause you to create it. And you have no actual understanding that you ever had any any role in it. You just think you saw this thing, not realizing you may have created it in the process. Do the men in black or the women in black, when they, when they threaten somebody, you know, don't report what you saw, if someone actually does report what they saw do they ever get a return visit did in other words do the men in black women in black ever follow through on their threats as far as we know well that's one of the interesting things because actually they really don't um they don't sort of come back usually more than once but what i can tell you is that if people have had a threat and they do continue to talk about it or you know they contact a ufo group or the local press those people, they don't get like a second visit, but they typically do get these weird phone calls um, where, you know, the phone rings, say, two or three in the morning, and it wakes them up with a jolt, so they go to the phone. When they pick it up, it's usually like weird static on the line, or it sounds like, like a language, but a language that they just cannot understand, and sometimes like a very fast, chattery voice. Um, which also they're not able to understand. Um, and again, you know, there's no direct threat. It's more sort of um, an Im intimidation just caused by the, just the sheer weirdness of picking the phone up and hearing these electronic bleeps or static or this sort of, or like a sinister, very fast language. You know, um, and it really, it actually really does intimidate a lot of people. And there are so many stories of those, those kind of follow-ups where there hasn't been like a literal physical follow-up, but there has been this angle of, um, sort of uh, early hours phone calls and, and things like that. And there have also been some cases where people have woken up in the middle of the night, sort of semi-paralyzed and able to move, and they see, like a shadow version of the men in black looming over them. Now, you know, the men in black look physical, but this subcategory, which I also talk about in the book, which is growing in interest, um, is what's known as the shadow people. And they look, it's like a shadowy human figure, but within the shadow people category, there's like a subcategory known as the hat man. And the hat man looks like the men in black, but it's like a flat shadow. And people have seen those in the bedroom after they've seen a visit, excuse me, after they've had a visit. So, again, there's a lot of different categories and, um, and sort of side effects. <clears throat> It gives me side effects to these whole and it seems, black experiences. It seems some may be more dangerous than, than others. I had Paul Tate and Rosemary Ellen Guiley on the show, I guess it was last week or the week before, and uh, there are people that are being attacked in their beds uh, by these specters. Nick, hold on, we'll take a time out, come back, and we'll uh, delve into black-eyed children. The book is The Black Diary, Nick Redfern, right here on The Conspiracy Show. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett 
Nick Redfern is with us, the author of over 40 books. The new one is The Black Diary, Men in Black, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. Speaking of dangerous books, has anyone ever reported after reading one of your books they receive a visit from a man in black or a woman in black? Well, not yet. <laughs> I mean, the, the new book where I'm sort of talking about all this, is, you know, as you know, has literally just come out in the last week. But I always get a lot of feedback from the book. So, you know, it would be interesting to see what actually develops. But in terms of this sort of negative backlash, what's particularly interesting is that I haven't actually seen it in most books, you know, on UFOs or anything like that. But as I said, it's, it has happened in a number of Men in Black-based books. And again, I don't think that is a coincidence. I think somehow, you know, the phenomena does have some sort of deep connection to us in terms of infringing on our reality. But I have a lot of stories from people who, for example, were reading about the black-eyed children and researching it. And a lot of weird stuff happened, like electronic equipment in the house all failing at the same time, like refrigerators, microwaves, electric kettles, light bulbs shattering, exploding in a couple of cases. And this happened when the people were reading, you know, sometimes like sitting in bed late at night, you know, reading, and they suddenly hear a bang somewhere or something would light up. And in several cases, this happened over three or four times where the people would have the books out or reading, you know, files, etc., or reading about on the Internet, and then suddenly things go haywire again to the point where some of the witnesses actually said that enough's enough and, you know, just dropped out of the subject because they just felt it was just getting too disturbing for them. You know, I have something similar to share. I have done a number of interviews regarding the whole, you know, Robert Johnson, the, the devil at the crossroads. You know oh, that yeah. story. Mm-hmm. And one of my last interviews on the radio with uh, R. Gary Patterson, who passed away about a year ago, we were talking about his trip down to the crossroads. Uh, He made a pilgrimage down to uh, Clarksdale. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, the phone went offline, uh, the computer went down, and uh, then we got him back on, we did the show. Then, just a couple of months ago, I was interviewing another author, Matt Swain, about the same topic for my podcast, And we did the interview. It sounded fine. When I went back and checked the audio, there was this crackling throughout the entire thing. I had to to do the whole interview again. Then I had Matt Swain on Coast to Coast. We talked about the crossroads. Wouldn't you know it? We got knocked off the air for 10 minutes. So I don't know if that's the same thing going on, but I don't know. Someone didn't want us talking about that. Well, that does happen a lot. I mean, one of my previous books on the Men in Black, the same thing actually happened on Coast to Coast and also on one of Whitley Strieber's shows. And so I know for a lot of people it's probably going to sound crazy and paranoid, but all I can tell people for sure and and honestly is that that really is what people have reported. And had I not, you know, sort of experienced the same kind of thing, you know, I wouldn't be in a position to be, from my perspective, you know, sort of full-on believer in this aspect of the phenomenon where it creates a backlash so to speak the closer you get to it has anyone reported fighting back or resisting a visitation from the men in black or the women in black any clues as to how you can i don't know counteract them or repel them oh yeah well that's actually a really interesting aspect particularly when it comes to the men in black and the women in black the reason being that there have been some cases where although the person felt sort of hypnotized and mind-controlled and their self-will was being taken away from them, several of them were able to sort of break the spell and said, 
get out of here or I'm calling the police, things like that. And when the person is actually able to even briefly just stand up for themselves, so to speak, it creates like a glitch. And it's as if they don't know what to do and they fumble and they're in stumble in some cases and they don't know what to do and they quickly leave. Almost like, you know, you've sort of inserted something into their mind, if you like, and it scrambles them. And it's almost as if they're programmed to perform one specific task, which is to threaten the person. And if something goes wrong, you know, it's like their program is being affected by the response of the person. So, you know, that's an interesting aspect. If you're able to break the spell, they typically leave very quickly. Any reports on whether the Jesus prayer or any type of prayer will work? That I'm honestly not sure about, but I can tell you that certainly when people have broken that spell and they've shouted at them, you know, like a great deal of emotion projected at them, that's when they'd leave. Now, when it comes to the black-eyed children, they also find a way into the house, and again, which is usually like a form of mind control. But the big difference is that the black-eyed children, for 99% of all cases, there is no UFO component. People are quite surprised with that. They think it's all connected, but it isn't. Now, there are a lot of parallels between the men in black and women in black and the black-eyed kids in the sense that all three groups wear black. You know, the men in black, women in black usually wear sort of like a black business suit. The black-eyed kids... Uh, whose eyes are black, you know, they usually wear these black hoodies with the hood part pulled right down as far as they can get it across the face so that people don't see the solid black eyes that they have. Nick, I've got to jump in. We're going to take another quick time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to delve into black-eyed kids. The Black Diary, Nick Redfern, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Nick Redfern stays with us. Nick, would you rather have a visit from men in black, a woman in black, or black-eyed kids? Which do you fear the most? Uh, Well, I wouldn't say I fear the phenomenon as such. I think I'm not sort of that kind of mindset. You know, I'm not sort of intimidated easily. But I think... um, well, I would actually, I don't think, you know, it's possible to sort of uh, define it just down to one because they're all extremely similar and all kind of dangerous and, and threatening. So I think, you know, um, hopefully I would have the, I would be able, if the spell was there, so to speak, that people report, hopefully I might be able to break it and, um, you know, have, have conscious recall of the whole thing, which a lot of people don't. A lot of it fe- does feel to them as if there are huge patches of the threat when the men in black are in the house. You know, a lot of it is missing. So um, I guess the answer would be, hopefully, you know, I wouldn't get to see any of them from a threatening angle. Um, but certainly, you know, if there was a lot of reports in one area, say, I'd, I'd go looking and, and try and, you know, solve it because that's, that's what I'm here to do, you know. The uh, the incidents where people uh, encounter black-eyed kids, does it happen more often in, an let's say, an isolated parking lot, or do they come to the person's house? Is there a well, commonality? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's almost always at night, which is all pretty much the same with the men in black and the women in black. 
um, and it is very often when the witness is, is isolated or, you know, if there's a knock on the door, weirdly, it's when, say, for example, you know, if, let's say, a, you know, a woman answers the door and her husband's out or vice versa. So it's almost as if they can time it when there's only the one person is in the house they want to target. But what's kind of creepy about a lot of the black-eyed children cases is that in those cases where they've managed to get into the house by, again, using this mind control to allow them to be invited in, the witnesses have said they've started to feel weak and kind of tired and exhausted, as if almost as if they were being drained of their energy by the black-eyed children. And that's one of the more sinister theories that's been put forward, that they are quite literally sort of... Um, digesting us in a bizarre way you know that they're sort of um, draining us of our life force of our energy uh, one witness described it as um, in relation to the men in black this case is um, because you get this in the same with the MIB and the women in black one of the MIB uh, witnesses said um, he felt how probably a diabetic would feel if you know they'd missed breakfast missed lunch and then it was like 10 o'clock at night and they're in that danger zone where everything's plummeting and they've got to eat you know um and that's how people have described it it's as literally as if they're being drained of their energy of their life force and as i said there are cases like that with the men in black and the women in black so some people have theorized that perhaps the the threat could be a ruse you know don't talk about this it could actually be a ruse to cover their their real goal which is to essentially use us as a kind of food or as, as fuel so to speak you know we view us as you know the top creature on the planet when we're actually not you know um we're just the most um you know expansive one across the planet so to speak but you know the, the idea that you know that we could actually be being used as a commodity, so to speak, is quite a disturbing one for a lot of people. You know, the idea that um, we are somehow being bled dry of some sort of like a psychic energy or something which they can siphon off us. Maybe they really are vampires. Well, I mean, nobody's ever talked about sort of literally being bitten and drained of blood. But what I will say is that there are a lot of parallels with the old vampire tales, like the main one being that you know, the men in black, as you might think or might assume, they never force their way in. They don't kick the doors down. They wait until the person invites them in, which is always when the person's in that sort of mind-controlled state. That happens with the black-eyed children and the women in black as well. Um, and also, you know, you've got this draining of energy. So it would not surprise me if some of the old legends of literal blood-sucking vampires may actually have had some sort of degree of um, truth to them, but perhaps in a distorted way, you know. It wasn't like some guy in a big black cloak, you know, draining somebody's blood, but it could have been somebody in a black outfit even hundreds of years ago, like a cloak, you know, etc., and draining somebody of their energy. So I think, you know, when you look at it like that, maybe some of these old legends that really do you know, have some sort of um, basis in reality. And you often find a lot of folklore, um, you know, do have bases in reality. Sure.
what happens if the if you're touched by one of these uh, black-eyed children? I always hear that. Don't let them touch you. Don't let whatever you do. Don't let them touch you. Oh well, I mean that's a, an even more disturbing thing because there are cases where people have been in very close proximity to the black-eyed children, the men in black and the women in black, and they've touched them, or they, you know, the the black-eyed kid or the or the man in black has touched them. Um, there are cases where literally within hours or at the most days, the people have felt sick. And in some cases, with really strange and bizarre and very rare conditions. Um, and, you know, to the point where they too felt that they'd been somehow like supernaturally infected or, or their immune system had been crashed by these things somehow. Has anyone ever died as a result of being in contact with the black-eyed children? Um, well, in the new book, a friend of mine, Tracy Austin, who's investigated a lot of the uh, black-eyed children cases, um, she, when I interviewed Tracy, she told me um, as to how she, one of the cases she investigated um, was where there were these repeated MIB cases. And um, the, the, the person who was having these experiences, their parents um, died very quickly um close together as well literally within weeks of all this going down and um and when she spoke to tracy um she felt that you know there was some sort of connection that there was almost as if it was like a curse you know or again like a supernatural infection of some sort but she definitely placed the um placed it in that context that her parent the her parents had died as a result of the, the proximity and the association with the black-eyed children. I'm looking at the cover of your book that you wrote previously, Women in Black, and the, there's a quote on here about she shrank from him with a hissing sound. Mm. Has anyone ever sort of attempted to, to communicate with them in, in a, sort of an irrational way, uh, mm. find out you know what they, what they really well, want, where they're from? Mm. Actually, for the most part, I can think of, no. Um, people are just so kind of terrified you know, it's a kind of a cross between or combination of terror, fear, and this sort of weird, almost spaced out mind control. And so people don't, unfortunately for the most part, people don't act as you would imagine, to, imagine them to act normally. You know, like inviting them in, when no one would ever do that. You know, you'd never let three people in, a, you know, you're through your front door at midnight just because they knocked on your front door. So that's one of the problems. People don't react and act in relation to them as as they should or, or we would hope they would. I mean, like with the black-eyed children, um, there's several cases where they opened the door to them and them, they were still fighting in their mind to prevent them from being let in. And But what's weird is that one of the witnesses said that as... The, the one of the, the black-eyed kids said, you know, can we come in? We're lost. Can we use the telephone to phone our parents? It's like midnight, you know, and they've got these solid eyes, black eyes. And although the witness was terrified and was kind of saying, no, you can't come in, he suddenly realized that his hand was actually open, starting to open the door, even though his voice was saying, no, you can't come in. It was like his arm somehow had been controlled to open the door and at the last moment, he realized what he was actually doing. He was denying them entry, but in the same process, physically letting them in. 
And when he kind of realized, again, it sort of broke that glitch, if you like, or it created a glitch, I should say, in the, in the, in the process, which was supposedly, you know, supposed to go smooth from their perspective. Do you think there's a relationship between MIB, women in black, black-eyed children, and the gin? Um, well, I mean, you mentioned Rosemary earlier, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I mean, Rosemary's looked into this angle as well. Um, now, a friend of mine um, named Buffy Clary, who I interviewed for the book, um, she borrowed my copy of Rosemary's book. And on and no word of a lie, I swear this is true. When she was reading the book on two occasions, um, she was she had um, lightning strikes. In the first one, it sort of um, affected. It, it, she was working on her laptop, and it was right in the room, and uh, and caused damage to her laptop and all sorts. Now the second situation um, was um, she was actually in her front, excuse me, in her backyard, and. The, the tree in her backyard was struck by lightning and it was so close that she felt the effects of it and had to go to the local hospital uh, to be treated um, because he just felt kind of really weird and, and, and ill from being in close proximity to this lightning strike. And, um, and certainly Rosemary, you know, has uncovered cases as well um, where, and it's the same, you know, with, with her book, that things that people look into, it's as if the phenomenon starts to realise and then they get bad things happen to them. But yeah, but Buffy, she had um, two experiences after, you know, she'd sort of delved into Rosemary's book. And, um, and that shook her as well, you know, because she realised there was this context between the lightning strikes on her, and in one case almost directly, and the context between... The, or the the time frame of, of her having the book and reading it each time, you know, something bad would happen. I think of the movie The Exorcist, which is one of the you know, all-time scary movies. I remember seeing it at the drive-in theater, and I never will watch it if it comes on TV. We won't allow it in the house. Um, what are some of the... You mentioned Rosemary's Baby. What are some of the other dangerous books that you uh, you, you mention in, in, in your book? <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, sir, I would say more than any other, at least from, from my own perspective, as I know, would be Albert Bender's 1962 book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Now, Albert Bender was the guy who really kicked off the UFO phenomenon, uh, excuse me, the, the Men in Black phenomenon, as a part of the overall UFO phenomenon in the early 1950s. And Albert Bender's book tells a story that's, you know, I mentioned H.P. Lovecraft earlier. It's far more Lovecraft than it is ufology. And he saw these sort of creepy men in black literally manifest in his bedroom. Now, Albert Bender was a heavy um, investigator of um, the occult. He wasn't just into UFOs. He was deeply involved in the occult and trying to summon up supernatural entities. And I think that has a lot of bearing on his experiences. But... Um, um, as, I, as I briefly mentioned, but I'll expand on, um, his publisher was Gray Barker, um, and Gray Barker was the guy who wrote the first book on the Men in Black. Now, when um, Flying Saucers of the Three Men was published, written by Albert Bender, um, Gray Barker got a lot of feedback from the readers of the book. Um, some of them said they enjoyed it, some of them said that it kind of disturbed them, 
and more than a handful said they they like they got a lot from it but they felt nervous from reading it and could they get a refund and send the book back to them and um because they felt that somehow the book itself had or it was almost as if the book itself had a had a supernatural presence to it and just looking at it on the table they felt uneasy with it being there and gray barker um agreed to refund the money you know and just mail the books back to me and then he wrote a smaller book um called the bender mystery confirmed which followed on from albert bender's flying saucers and the three men and it basically told the story of all these people that read the book and felt that somehow the book was not just a book that it seemed to be sort of saturated in sort of a a supernatural energy that they felt they could feel when it was in their hand or just looking at it somehow they just they just got the shivers you know Nick always a pleasure the black diary MIB women in black black eyed children in dangerous books and i believe the publishing date is uh, june 5th the day after tomorrow congratulations Correct, and thanks yeah. for this all right thanks richard my pleasure ian albert Ryan, thank you all. Back next week. And uh, who do we have quickly, Albert? RFK special, 50th anniversary. And Thomas Rosetto. Right, yes, exactly. On enlightenment. All right, until then, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>